0: Hello and welcome to Buddha and the Body Coach. I'm Alexandra Stone and here with T. Proctor.
1: So who's the Buddha? And
0: So I come to show you.
1: We're here to talk about the things that matter. What makes your life more meaningful and fulfilled. Oh,
0: I'm so glad to know you. So glad to help you throw those fears away. i let the sunbeam shine from me. I will light up the hills and then I'll be a part of all you
1: see. Welcome back. In part one of this episode, we talked about the story and how we end up living in our stories and living out our stories and how those stories can be self-perpetuating. In part two, we're going to look at some of those core stories in terms of schema therapy and see how these core stories and schema can hold us back, as well as how we can become more free of the story and live, as we say, a more fulfilled life.
0: So we'll use the example of the schemas from Schema therapy, because that's kind of perfect, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And we're not going to go into a big description. We'll say a little about schema therapy, but.
0: Yeah. I'll just do a real brief like your schema is your narrative. And then you have schema modes, and that is the actions that you take from your narrative.
1: Yeah. And so a schema is, you know, another word for schema is like template or is your your core story would Mm. be a schema. And in schema therapy, there are 18 different kind of identified schemas, although there's probably now as the field, um, probably more now as the field goes on. But what I said before about schemas being useful is that they're unlike, for instance, um, I, I should go back and actually say that using this idea of implicit memory, we can now understand that our unconscious mind is actually a series of impressions from the past. Memories that we have, that we've tried to adapt to, that we've tried to find solutions to and coping strategies for. And So that's very different from the early idea of the unconscious mind that Freud and, and some of those, uh, Melanie Klein and some of those people had of this kind of just dream-like hell realm of, of desires and conflicts and and fierce uh, drives and emotions that we have all swimming around somewhere in, in the subconscious, um, which is quite a bit more like dreams. Um, but these are kind of quantifiable. These are something happened to us, we have a memory of it, and we had a coping strategy in the form of a schema or story that we came to tell about it.
0: Yeah, and this is it like in in spiritual circles, the same new age spiritual circles, this might be your shadow work. And that's what it's often called, that's the story, and often this is bypassed, and that's a huge shame because we really need to understand these narratives to actually be able to move on from them, otherwise they just continue functioning underground. Underground. Yeah.
1: yeah. In the subconscious yeah yeah so using any of the models like for instance schema or schema therapy or Enneagram but any of the models will help us to identify the patterns and help us again become more objective about it and work through those things and Alex you want to give us a little more background on schema
0: Yeah, so a schema is a deeply ingrained mental or emotional pattern developed during childhood that shapes our perception, our beliefs, and our behaviours. And schemas are these enduring themes, or we could call them core beliefs about ourselves, about others and the world around us. They're often negative, that's important, and result from unmet emotional needs or adverse experiences in earlier life. They can manifest as rigid thought patterns, maladaptive coping strategies, and self-defeating behaviors.
1: Right. So if you think back to our attachment podcast, it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, it does. Um, patterns that develop in early childhood that we act out in our future lives. Um, I think the thing that you said in there that grabbed me the most is that they come from unmet emotional needs or adverse experiences in early life.
0: Yeah, well that's how that's where the like the child therapy work.
1: The inner child the
0: work the inner child work, I think. It's where the inner child work comes in, isn't it? Actually it's very interesting in a child work because it is all about story. So you go back as an adult and you're the mother now of you at that age and you give yourself what you needed or the thing you didn't get, the unmet needs. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in a way you you rewire in your nervous system by telling a different story. The therapist that I went with, he said to me, and this is in the research, if you speak your story out loud, it is more powerful. It helps to rewire your nervous system. Right. So that's amazing because it speaks to the power of that oral tradition of storytelling, which we have lost a little in our culture.
1: Right, a we're kind of adrift in our stories right now and it makes it really hard for us to have a coherent individual story, even if we had a pretty good upbringing. So schema modes.
0: Yeah, so schema modes, they're more dynamic and situational expressions of the underlying schemas. So they represent different states of being or modes of functioning that individuals experience and switch between. Each mode is associated with specific emotions, thoughts, behaviors, and coping strategies. The schema modes can be triggered by certain situations or internal and external factors, and they can vary in intensity and duration. They're influenced by the underlying schemas, but may not be active at all times.
1: Good point. So they may be lying there. Yeah. Waiting for the right situation to arise. It reminds me of
0: the IFS model, that, you know. Sure. It's a lot like that.
1: Right, they say that's another model.
0: It's another model. And they say if you have this sort of, let's say we'll call it a schema, but if you've got this schema that it's driving underneath and let's um, say it's in that subconscious realm and you're not giving it attention, every now and then it comes up and it floods the nervous system and it can be really intense for some people and then this can like result in all kinds of maladaptive behaviors.
1: Mm-hmm. So any model, (laughs) all the different ones we're mentioning here, the internal family systems, the schema, the Enneagram, all these different models, the tarot, are just models to tell us something about ourselves. They're stories that we're telling to try to understand ourselves more deeply. And ultimately, as we come back to these schema as the model we're using right now, schema are the stories, the core stories that we believe in our nervous systems And the schema modes are the acting out that we tend to do from the schema or the core belief.
0: There are 18 schemas in Mm -hmm. total. So what we're gonna do now, listeners, is just to give you an example. We'll go through three of these schemas. The first one is abandonment or instability. And this might sound like no one loves me. I'll be left alone. And we'll call this the abandoned child mode. And when that plays out, we might see jealousy. We might see a protest mode, trying to protect one's mate.
1: (laughs) As an adult, yeah. But the abandoned child is... um... The abandoned child is always, uh, terrified of loss and will do anything, fight, flee, hide, whatever it takes, protest to try to regain the attachment, to try to avoid being abandoned.
0: Mm, But then it often results in being abandoned.
1: It often perpetuates itself into being abandoned. So it's a self-perpetuating schema, which is a good point. These schemas self-perpetuate.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, again we're just going to share some from the list another one is um, the defectiveness shame schema and the mode that comes from that often is the punitive parent mode so i feel defective and shameful inside and so to avoid feeling that i'm going to go around kind of being punishing and pointing out faults and defectiveness in others I'm going to be very judgmental and finger-pointing. That's going on inside me, but maybe I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to act that out more on everybody else. The punitive parent mode.
0: And then thirdly, we've got the insufficient self-control, self-discipline schema.
1: And you're going to, ba- you're going to abandon
0: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You're going to elaborate on that. You're not going to abandon that one, are you?
0: Yeah, i chose chosen elaborate. this one specifically, actually, because this one comes up a lot in my coaching at the the woman's body coach
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know around exercise and motivation and dieting Mm. (laughs) you know and not not just dieting but food and nutrition in general so if you've developed the insufficient self-control schema you may experience a pervasive difficulty to control your frustrations your behaviors or your your impulses and these can be linked to guilt and shame but also a sense of laziness and incompetence Mm. yeah so does that sound like you listeners if it does then you might be working with this particular narrative so at the heart of this schema is a limited ability to tolerate uncomfortable emotions such as frustration stress Anxiety, And as soon as we experience any kind of discomfort, we're going to try and get away from it. And that might look like reaching for the cookie or the bag of crisps or chips or the wine whenever you feel stressed. Or the development of this particular schema can be influenced by various different life experiences and factors. And I'm going to take you through what some of these might show up like. And there's, there's quite a few of them actually. So the first one is inconsistent parenting or neglect. So inconsistent or unpredictable parenting where caregivers fail to provide consistent boundaries, structure or guidance. Okay, so that's one particular cause causation or, sorry, that's one particular factor that may cause that particular schema. So we also have overindulgence or permissive parenting. So these are the Mm -hmm. parents that don't enforce rules, Uh their kids. So we're looking at you, hippie parents. The kids do (laughs) need some boundaries. So when kids grow up without experiencing reasonable limits or delayed gratification, they might struggle then to regulate their impulses and control their behaviors later in life.
1: We haven't had the structure and the understanding to learn how to control themselves.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But conversely, you can also develop this if you have harsh or authoritarian parenting. I actually see this one quite a lot. It comes up more often than not. So when children experience overly punitive or controlling environments, they may struggle with internalizing self-discipline and rely more on external sources of control or rebellion. I do see this one come up a lot in clients and they will then project the authoritarian parent onto me as a coach. Like if I eat the cookie, she won't know. You know, a client has said that to me because I will work with them and say, come on, you need to tell me like what's going on. What's the narrative that you're having in your head when you feel like you're cheating on your own goals on your diet? So it's interesting. I think that I probably attract that particular model more because it there's more uh, of a an A type leaning maybe with that. You know, you want to do well. Uh, maybe some perfectionism in there. So they probably be the people who will tend to want to body coach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, some clients will really pull and pull for me to chastise mm-hmm.
1: them. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is why a coaching model of self-compassion is so important. It really helps rewire the brain so that the behavior doesn't continue and the internal narrative shifts.
1: So, so in a sense, when they start acting that out with you, you can make an intervention and say, hey, this behavior is coming up. And when we come into the moment, let's realize I'm not your over-controlling mom
0: exactly that I'm here to support
1: yeah and you may be running the script that I'm your over controlling mom but that's how your schema
0: Mm.
1: is filtering reality for you I'm actually here to support you in being a grown-up who makes their own choices
0: exactly and one of my values is empowerment and it's the real empowerment not this you know pop sugar empowerment that is over Instagram or whatever social media thing you're looking at. It's real. Like you feel the power inside of yourself, the will to make the decisions that support you. So that's where I want to take a client. I am not that coach that is gonna say, get down and do fifty push ups, mm-hmm. otherwise there is some form of punishment at the end. And I I feel like you know, maybe fitness was like that for a long time, and it's sort of the perfect fit mm-hmm. to project that. The punishment sort of, paradigm, yeah, the, which,
1: which is going to come up in a future podcast, but I think the punishment paradigm.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: So traumatic experiences can also influence this one, um, because this can disrupt the development of self-control and self-regulation. It can affect the prefrontal cortex, which makes impulse control very difficult. Sounds mm-hmm. a little like a ADHD. I've had a little look at some of the research on this, and there seems to be a narrative where some people in the realms of psychology say that this schema is not ADHD, and some people that make a link to it. I
1: think mm-hmm. it's
0: probably pretty hard, isn't it, to say whether it is or it isn't.
1: Well, ADHD is a story we tell about a set of symptoms
0: Well, yeah, exactly.
1: So, you know, even diagnoses are stories Mm. that we tell to try to make sense of reality so that then we can have some effect on that reality.
0: Yeah, exactly. And peer influence as well actually can influence this one. So, you're talking about your early social environment, including the behavior and attitudes of parents, but also siblings and peers, they can shape your self control abilities. So, how do we work?
1: Let me, let me just cut in real Go quick on. here, and remember that we're just talking about one schema here.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're talking about the insufficient self-control, self-discipline schema. Uh, there's 18 of them from the baseline, so we'll put those we'll put those up if people no, are more I've interested. I
0: picked out at least three so far, <laughs> so you know, yeah,
1: right. So <laughs> this is just one, and we're kind of going into this one as an example. So.
0: Yeah, so ways of working with with this particular schema. So I can put my woman's body coach hat on now. And I'm going to say, first of all, diet is really important. So rather than entering into restriction, so if you've got weight to lose, you know, that first impulse is I need to lose the weight. But it's first important to make sure that you're feeding yourself brain food and that you're getting a good diet. You know what that is and that you're getting proper nutrition omega fatty acid is very important and if you have this schema taking slightly more than the rda is going to be beneficial for you so think two grams of epa instead of one now fish oil is probably the easiest way to get that in it helps with focus but also reduces inflammation and symptoms of depression physical exercise, all the good stuff that I love. So physical exercise is extremely beneficial as it promotes dopamine, improves executive function, and it alters BDNF, which is an important molecule for communication between brain cells. Other effective solutions, meditation. And in research, meditation comes out best for increased focus. So if you struggle with your focus, start with a meditation practice. Start with five minutes and just build that up. Mm -hmm. Use breathing for stress relief. Again, recent research from Huberman's lab showed that breathing was actually more effective than meditation Mm -hmm. for stress relief. And you only need five minutes. I do five minutes a day and it completely changes my whole world. Get enough sleep. (laughs) I cannot emphasize this enough, especially if you have this particular schema. Impulse control is so much harder for everyone but particularly this set of people if you don't get enough sleep. Mm Right, So I am driving that one in. And the last one, developing a framework of self-compassion and developing a kind of self-image. So mm. we talked a little bit about that before and we've talked about self-compassion now. I just want to say that a lot of people just think that self-compassion won't work. I'm not 100% sure why I'm going to guess because it's so simple, or they they have an understanding of what it is, but they don't action it.
1: Well, I, I think it's worth slowing down and, and we're at the end of talking about the particular schema of uh, what's the schema again?
0: <laughs> Insufficient um, self-discipline. That's it, yeah.
1: Um, we're at the end of talking about that schema and as we broaden back out talking about self-compassion, I think it's worth slowing down there Yeah. because You know, we say these things like be with yourself or be kind to yourself and There's a lot to it. Yeah, there's a lot of unwinding of For instance these negative self-defeating schemas, there's unwinding of the inner critic which we have done a podcast on and we'll do more work in podcasts about there's starting to realize that being kind to yourself means learning how to tolerate difficult feelings in your body that we also tend to call emotions learning how to not believe your thoughts
0: mm, there's 4am ones
1: the 4am thoughts understanding that you know f- feelings are not facts and thoughts are not ultimate realities mm. so self-compassion is a lifetime practice it's real hard to just say to somebody, be self-compassionate. So that's why when I'm working with somebody around self-compassion, I need to start to walk into the waters of who they are and understand where they are with self-compassion and what are the next steps that they need to um, be able to put in place to take further steps into actually caring for themselves actually respecting themselves and it's a bit abstract when i start to say care for yourself or respect yourself so what i mean is is to actually not live in a place where you take yourself to be somebody who should be punished somebody who should be deprived somebody who is broken actually caring for yourself in terms of schema is to start to liberate yourself from the negative stories of the schema.
0: Yeah, and even though it is a a work of a lifetime, you can get very, very marked changes in eight weeks if you commit yourself to the process. Absolutely. It can literally change your whole life.
1: And that's why I love that aspect of the work because if we Change how we start to treat ourselves, how we try, start, how we treat our inner feelings, how we treat our emotions, how we reject ourselves. If we change the frame of that, we can change our whole lives faster than any other way.
0: Mm. And so self compassion, it just isn't sexy. It doesn't sell. Whenever I do a an Instagram story or a post on self compassion, nobody wants to know about it. And it does send me a little loopy that because, you know, a lot of the people who come to me, they want to get help with their health. And maybe that includes losing some weight or uh, having to, you know, do some physical exercise. And the research actually shows that people who use self-compassion get better results in all of those areas and they consistently lose more
1: weight. So if you want better health, the first thing you might try is to stop torturing yourself so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, go figure. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, self-compassion. And it really, it has three parts to it. The first one is self-awareness, self-awareness. You can learn a lot in a very short space of time, but it's also a lifelong piece of work. And the second part is recognizing your common humanity and that you're not alone. I would even expand upon that to say that you get support when you're struggling.
1: And that term, common humanity.
0: Yeah, I know. I It really does settle your nervous system. Mm-hmm. I have used this so many times at that 4 a.m. time when I've woken up and my thoughts are just torturing me. And I just go through it, oh, I'm having these thoughts about myself. So it starts, there's the narrative. I'm mm-hmm. going to, see that it's there, oh, but it's not who I am, Mm -hmm. I get it. And then, you know what, a lot of people feel like this. Sometimes people feel like they're not enough. Sometimes people feel like they're alone in the world and God, yeah, we're all in this together. And then the last part of it is self-kindness. So instead of using that punitive authoritarian voice, instead you're gonna switch to a kinder voice and I you know I think that that's going to be different for everyone if you're not used to speaking to yourself with kindness start off with with practical sentences just don't be mean
1: just don't be mean yeah I like that that's becoming kind of a theme for uh, (laughs) this year's this uh, season's podcast just just don't be mean yeah Yeah, so I think coming into transitioning out of that phase of our talk, what we're really saying here is that we live in our stories. Our stories are ultimately very important to us and can be very precious to us. They're our creations in a sense, but we can also transform them and become more free of their influence, especially the influence of the negative stories. So, our stories change from this is who I am, as in a schema, to this is something that happened, and this is how I reacted. So they go from this is who I am, this deficient, uh, someone who doesn't have any will or capacity for self-discipline, to ah this is something that didn't get developed or this is something that wasn't emphasized or this is a way I needed to rebel against my parents this is something that happened this is not who I am changing and transforming and finding out more about ourselves There are so many types of things that we can do along the way to clarify our stories to liberate our stories
0: mm. and just before we we go into some of those i just want to loop back to the very beginning when you talked about the new age spiritual philosophy of your story isn't who you are and that is only valuable once you know what your story is or was
1: yeah and that's the the quote from jack engler if I get it right, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody.
0: Yeah, nice. It was a callback. So yeah, different different ways that we can actually work with our narrative and start to understand it better with therapy, obviously.
1: Therapy, and there are many different types of therapy.
0: Yeah, I mean, we mentioned a couple, mm-hmm. right? right? Obviously, there's this one, the mm-hmm. schemas. There's IFS. There's um
1: there's so many there's so many (laughs) many we'd be here
0: listening forever
1: right but there's also journaling is a way to tell our stories get clear on our stories journaling's great very powerful Mm -hmm. Um, and free one you might not think of but physical self-awareness it's so primary
0: yeah so when I think about this I think about dance dance is such a great way to tell a narrative isn't it Mm. you can kind of dance that through your body
1: Right, right. Or you can get involved in an improv group and learn how to dramatize things or even do comedy.
0: Yeah, (laughs) people can tell great stories with their bodies.
1: Right, so our body is telling a story. Our body has a story in it. And sometimes dance or movement or yoga can, can help us get in touch with that story and the emotions in that story and liberate some of the emotions in the story so that no longer is this kind of contained charge within us. But something that's free and that has been seen by us and what is seen can be liberated There's different kinds of groups. We can get involved with You know for instance, I used to lead grief groups. That's a type of group Um, But there's there's AA groups. There's all sorts of groups like that. There's men's groups women groups. Yeah All these groups if they're healthy can help us find out more about ourselves Um, In these groups If we have people that we can really trust, we can start to receive mirroring. Now, mirroring is a little touchy because we need to have people that can see us and can be compassionate with us and tell us, well, this is what I see about you. And I notice that when we talk about such and such that you become angry quite quickly or that when we talk about something else, I notice that you kind of um, withdraw or something of that nature to where somebody can start to give you feedback and you can see something compassionately about yourself. The key is that they're telling you and mirroring you compassionately.
0: Yeah. And one of my favorites, actually, personality tests and maps.
1: Right. And we've talked about loads of those. But like I said, you could even go into Cosmo and take some tests. Some (laughs) of those are perfectly fine.
0: Exactly. They don't
1: really have Cosmo magazine anymore, I guess.
0: No. No just be careful somebody's not trying to get your information off the yeah internet. that's right that, that,
1: that's a good point some of those tests online are, are trying to accumulate information about you
0: yeah
1: um you know i even thought of just doing ancestry studies if you've ever seen how revelatory there's that show on tv where they do a person's ancestry Yeah, 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 yeah. and it's very revelatory and powerful for people to see where they come from yeah. And honestly, it's not something I ever cared about until I became a little older and I started to come across Some of my family has done these written accounts of my great-grandmothers and people like that And it was very touching to me. Yeah in ways. I can't even totally describe Mm -hmm. But those stories being told
0: yeah, and now we have things like ancestry dot com and and 23andMe, where we tell the story of our DNA. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's very
0: interesting as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And so, all of this by way of moving towards a more coherent narrative. And what I mean by coherent narrative is life makes sense, we make sense, other people make sense, even if they're acting irrationally sometimes. In other words, we belong, we will be cared for, and we matter. We belong, we will be cared for, and we matter. And if we can find a way of telling our story that includes those factors, that is compassionate. It's not just knowing facts about yourself. It's understanding yourself in a way that is integrated into how you feel and ultimately act and behave in the world. And, and what you offer the world. So, what was that phrase?
0: I know who I am and I know where I come from. Mm-hmm.
1: I know who I am and I know where I come from. Ultimately, a coherent narrative is you know why you are who you are. And you get some distance from the past. It becomes truly in the past. You become more objective, more spacious, more content, more at peace, more connected. So, it's not that we need stories in order to give us meaning, because that does happen. We find meaning in our stories. But really, ultimately, we find meaning in life, and in who we are, and in knowing ourselves, and from that meaning, Our stories become a reflection. So they're a reflection of the meaning of what we've found by being who we truly are, by being authentic, by being in touch, by being connected. So it's an outflowing of meaning, and that's a a nuanced thing. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or finish with?
0: Well, I was just thinking of this this phrase. I can't remember where I heard it. I remember I first heard it when I was in Berlin, and that was... A good story can save a life. Hmm. Actually, I added the word good hmm. because it can go the opposite way too. Mm-hmm. But if we tell a good story, it can save our lives.
1: Yeah, and if we hold it with grace.
0: Yeah. And compassion. Hmm.
1: Beautiful. All right, well, I think that's the story. <laughs>
0: the daily bugle. Are we sticking to The unwinding to it? yarn. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thanks. It would really mean so much to us if you enjoyed this podcast. Please rate, follow, and review us.
1: Special thanks to Reed Anderson for our theme.